Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. This is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies, with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own, and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Geek Buddies. Yay! This, uh, you may or may not have heard, and if you haven't heard, clearly you just crawled out from under a rock. The Game of Thrones series slash season finale was the other night, Sunday night, and we decided to get together to record a very special uh, episode where we're breaking down or giving our review and thoughts on the season finale slash series finale and on the series as a whole. And because we wanted to explore some of these storylines in the books, we brought along a guest. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I am one of your hosts, John Roca, joined by... Uh, this is Michael Vogel. And this is Shannon McClung. And you may know them from numerous animated series and what have you projects and some acting projects as well. Of course, you know me as a, as a host and writer and producer over at Collider. Uh, but our special guest, Michael, would you like to do the honors? Uh, I would like to introduce our very special Geek Buddy, our first official Geek Buddy guest. Yes. Uh, Mr. Michael Robertson, welcome to the show. Hey. Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Uh, and for those who don't know Michael, what does he do? Uh, well, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are a friend of ours from out here in Los Angeles, but uh, tell tell everybody your uh, your geek story of origin. Yeah, I mean, I'm my day job is I do finance for the Walt Disney Company, but I could do finance for any number of places, and I chose to do it at an entertainment company because I really love cinema and film and TV. So. Uh, I love to just get deep into things and let's talk about stuff. And uh, that that is not finance is not what you are here to talk about today. No, today, no, no, no. You are here because uh, I know this because I have spent many a Sunday night with you. <laughs> you are an intense Game of Thrones fan. Yes, yeah. Game of Thrones is is my thing. I I read the books before the show was even made. I've read the books several times since then and analyze probably every every moment of this show to an unhealthy degree. Can I ask a question? How, how long does it take you to read 
one of these Game of Thrones books. Like, like the first time, and then when you went back to read them over and over again. Well, Does it get shorter? So I read very fast. Okay. Uh, and, no, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're intense. They're, they're large, intense books. Yeah. There's an incredible amount of detail. Uh, so the first time, it was a sort of a lazy, like, you know, just taking it through it. And then when I reread it, you get to focus on things. So I knew that I wanted to focus on certain characters. So those are the mm. chapters that I really paid attention to. The rest I sort of browsed through. So now let me ask you a question. So when Game of Thrones premiered, uh, you had already read the books. Mm-hmm. You knew what you were getting into. You were mm-hmm. ready for it. And what was your reaction to the way they interpreted the books into series? So season one is a pretty much shot-for-shot re- remake of, of what happened in the first Game of Thrones book. Wow. Uh, it, it really is incredibly true to the source material. And was just, I mean, season one was a masterpiece. It was, mm. it was wonderful. It's what hooked us all to the show. Uh, so I was very excited. And, uh, you know, as time went on and, you know, when you get into five, six, seven years since the last book came out, you start to get a little worried that the show is going to overtake the books. And, of course, that's what happened. But uh, in, in those early seasons, it was very, very true to the source material. And so, you were, and so you became like a huge fan of the series in addition to the books. Yes. Yeah. I also really loved being the person in the room who knew what was going to happen next. <laughs> that was yeah. awesome for my ego to like being oh, – knowing yeah. that the Red Wedding is coming, knowing that uh, – What's what's going to happen to Ned Stark? You know, you just sort of lord that over people. A little now, when bit. you watched the Red Wedding, did you watch it with a group of people? Yes. So, were you watching them, or were you watching the screen? Uh, oh, I was watching the screen. I couldn't take my eyes off the screen. Got it. Oh, for fair sure. enough. Well, this one was watching us. Yeah, I actually watched the Red Wedding with these two fools. Yeah. And it was really hard for me to focus on TV because I just kept watching them because I knew what was coming and I knew that they had no idea. And the reactions from both of you did yeah. not disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not really known for not having a strong reaction to things. So it was you <laughs> was shocking. Yeah, it was pretty, pretty shocking. Well, and, and that's the pedigree we were dealing with with this guest here with Michael Robertson, he's a very knowledgeable Game of Thrones guy, and I've followed his stuff on Facebook, his comments and his posts all the time for many seasons when he's commented on it, and I've always been fascinated about how much of a deep fan he is, and Vogel is very clear in telling all of us how much of a massive fan you are about, so I thought if we're going to break down, or we thought if we're going to break down this whole series and this season and season finale... Who better to bring on the Geek Buddies than Michael Robertson to talk about it? Because Michael's not short on opinions. Uh, <laughs> I have and some sir- thoughts. <laughs> yeah, he has some thoughts. My one, my one disappointment for the night, and yeah. I'm not, not to throw Michael uh, 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 under the bus a little bit, but normally when I watch Game of Thrones with Michael Robertson, he also bakes bread. Oh, and I there's no <laughs> And there's no bread here tonight. And he's, an, he's actually an amazing uh, baker. He, he names oh. his breads. I, yes, I do. Do you have any Game of Thrones uh, inspired breads? Not yet, but I think that I think that might have to happen. Hmm. Uh, My favorite no. one is Bread Midler. Bread Midler. Uh, like there's, there's a few. Juliette Brun- Brioche was one yep. for a time, <laughs> yep. but, but no Stark sourdough yet. Not yet, but oh, we, wow. we can make that happen. <laughs> I, I liked Starkbucks. That was my favorite joke coming out of the Starbucks. Starbucks? Yeah, when they, the, the Starbucks thing was there. And apparently there was a water bottle at this last one. So fascinating. There was. I love the bread stuff. It's brilliant. Uh, I'm a little surprised, too, that he didn't bring... Maybe next time. Any bread now that now that I've embarrassed him, maybe next time we'll get bread. It's <laughs> <laughs> my goal in life is to shame people into feeding me carbs. Yeah, oh, the perfect. disappointment is palpable in this room right now, Michael. <laughs> so, I hope you're willing to take that on. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So let's start. Let's just start overall. What were your overall impressions? With it? I think we should start with Michael as a book reader and what have you. Um, and very knowledgeable man about Game of Thrones. What was your overall impression about this? season slash series finale 
So for for the finale, uh, you know, coming from where we were at the end of the episode, the bells, mm-hmm. I there it was not the worst episode that I could have imagined. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. there were I I did have some concerns. I did have some problems with it. But uh, you know, I I think that they could have. Uh, they 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 did what they could with the ending that they had predetermined that they were going to have. Mm-hmm. So I was disappointed in the ending that we saw, uh, but I think that they were sort of hamstrung because that was the ending that they were told to deliver. So uh, you, you you believe that George R. R. Martin told them, which they've said kind of that they've spoken with him. You believe that they that they went to the endings with what we're going to see in the books. Yeah, I, I think okay. that that's true of most of the things that happened this okay. season. I think for many of the major plot points that we saw, we are going to see those echoed in the books, and we'll and okay. we'll get into some of my reasons mm-hmm. behind why I think that that is the case, uh, and where I think the books are going to diverge from the show. But ultimately, okay. when it comes to the major plot beats that we saw, particularly in this last episode, the bells not so much, but in this last episode yeah. in the Iron Throne. Uh, I think that's what we're going to get in the books, and I think that with dealing with that, they did a serviceable job. He's a very kind man. Uh, Vogel, <laughs> your thoughts? I, uh, um, kind of echoing what Robertson said. I okay. feel like I got some level of emotional catharsis mm-hmm. that wasn't really earned, but I'll take it. Okay. Like when you watch the end of the episode and you have that great little montage of like each of the four Starks kind of stepping into where they're going to step in with Bran stepping into being the king, Sansa being the queen of the north, Arya going off to parts unknown and Jon going up in the north. Like with the music swelling and everything happening, it's like I felt good about it. And to Robertson's point, I do think that's where those characters are going to end up Mm -hmm. in the book. Mm -hmm. I just think everything that led to us getting to that point was so – rushed and weird and weird choices were made by characters to get there that I couldn't quite feel great about it. Mm. But I think I probably felt emotionally a little bit better than I was expecting given my feelings of the past several weeks. Yeah. All right. Uh, as the best writer in the room, uh, Shannon McClung, what did you think about well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, And that's when Mike Vogel quit the Geek Buzz. What? Wow, what? Come on. It was, that was, that was a nice, it was a nice run, guys. It was a nice run. <laughs> Shannon, as the George R. R. Martin of the crew, what would you know? What's your th- Why, because he wears little hats? Like, what does that mean? It's his beard. Are you making fun of my little hat that I'm wearing right now? <laughs> um, complete ambivalence. Wow. Complete Ooh, ambivalence. That's almost worse than I, having an angry or positive reaction. I agree. Like, we talked about this <sighs> in Star Wars last week. I mean, once I sort of emotionally disconnect from something, I really don't care yeah. one way yeah. or the other where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. I thought we had that great opening sequence of Tyrion walking through the ashes. I was yeah. like, God, this looks great. If I cared more, this would be such a great moment. Interesting. Um, but overall, it's like, I, I was crossing my fingers that they were going to give us some lemonade out of the lemons they've been throwing uh, a yeah. couple of times this season. But, you know, the show ended. It's like, okay, this is not the first show in the series or in the history of television to not stick the landing. Yeah. So you throw it on the pile along with Lost and uh, Seinfeld. But I would argue that this show was not running out of steam when it ended, whereas Seinfeld and Lost were kind of running out of steam in terms of creatively they were kind of running out of steam this had a predetermined ending and they had to wrap it up and it felt that way over this and over this last I think, season I think Surely. actually it, it, I think you're right I think a lot of shows they kind of like outlast their welcome yeah. they go on too long and then they give you an ending and you're like yeah fine thank god you just ended this is the exact opposite problem i mean everything you're reading online it's not like this is original thought but everyone is saying the same thing which is like 
dear God, Benioff and Weiss, why didn't you just yeah. do 10 full episodes of season seven and 10 full episodes of season eight? You clearly needed it. And we all would have been a lot happier because mm. I do think in general, um, and we said this last week, and I'll say it again. I think that people who are not satisfied with the ending are not – for the most part, not mad about the choices that are made. Right. Like watching Daenerys go crazy after she's been your hero for several seasons is, no. if that is We're, what it's happened, still John, in debate whether she went crazy. Or it was a military ahead, yeah. decision. Yes. We'll, we'll talk watching about that. This <laughs> it's, not, it's not in debate. <laughs> well, for you, for you civilians who've never but, uh, served. Yeah, oh, wow. wow. I mean, but thank I mean, you for your service, John. I prefer you, you just say thank you and moved on. But, uh, Colonel Jessup. <laughs> I do think that in general, people aren't upset about the things that happen. They're just upset about the speed with which they happen yeah. and the fact that we didn't get to actually dwell on any of the cool things. So mm-hmm. we sort of rushed through everything to get to this ending. And at the end of the day, like HBO wasn't asking for them to rush. The mm-hmm. fans certainly weren't asking them for the, for them to rush. So, I mean, I think one of the big questions that's just hanging over everything that Benioff and Weiss one day will maybe come out and explain is like, Why'd you rush? Yeah. Well, so some of the people who've watched, who are maybe listening, who are Collider fans, watched our recap, and they saw how angry I was about that ending. I've calmed down since. And I would say I was defending the season until this final episode. I was. Oh, I was I'm aware. <laughs> I was one of these people that was like, I get why they're doing, if you don't know why they're doing what they're doing, you haven't been watching the show closely enough, they've laid the breadcrumbs to get to where they're going. But now, I gave them benefit of the doubt till this episode, and this episode broke me. This is the episode that I was like, screw this, you guys rushed it, you didn't let things breathe, you made rash decisions, you made your characters make rash decisions when this series was not built on rash decisions. In fact, if people remember in previous seasons, Fans would get upset of how long it was taking for certain things to happen or they were blowing it with Dorn for a whole season instead of just cutting that thing out like they should have right off the bat. So you get those kinds of complaints and I would have rather had that than what we ended up with. This so, ra- over – I mean this ration – irrational decision-making by these characters who were not shown to be this way. So, John, where where you are right now, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this thing that you're feeling, <laughs> <laughs> this is where I was in episode three. Oh, wow. So in, right. I was a little unique in, in the fandom in that I was defending the show throughout season seven mm. and for the first two episodes of season eight. For most of the, of the big fans of the books, yeah. the end of season six was effectively the end of the show for them. Season seven was when it went off the rails. Right. I was continuing to defend because I was saying that I trust these writers, I trust these producers, Benioff and Weiss have done such good things with the show to this point. So I continued to defend them because I trusted that they were going to stick the landing. Mm. Once episode three happened, once we saw the Battle of Winterfell and the Long Night episode, that's when I finally just had to admit to myself, things are no longer happening for a reason. They are just happening. Yeah. It was, they just started making a lot of decisions where this is a cool camera shot. This is going to be fun for the audience to watch. This is going to be a, a great battle sequence. And they forgot about the backup and the reasoning that is going to lead these characters to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, you get a lot of just nonsense. Yeah. And it, it, it really just sort of broke me and disillusioned me. And from then on, I stopped thinking, oh, Jon Snow made this decision to go beyond the wall because sometimes Jon Snow makes bad decisions. Now I was thinking they are sending the Dothraki in with flaming swords against uh, uh, against the, the army of the dead. Yeah. 
because the writers are doing a bad job, right. not because they made a bad battle time decision. And that's when the show broke for me. And to Shannon's point about ambivalence, that's when the ambivalence sticks in. Because when you no longer feel those stakes for the characters and you no longer feel that tension for the characters, that's when you disengage. Yeah. A lesson that I learned as a writer on My Little Pony, of all things, hey, well, a, a good writing lesson that I learned was I wrote an outline for a script uh, that I had been assigned and I turned it in. And the note that I got back was these characters aren't doing anything because they would do that. These characters are doing it because you need them to do that. Mm -hmm. You need to fix this. Right. And it actually was a really good lesson because when you're a writer and you're basically moving all these chess pieces around on a board to get from A to B to C to D, you know that at the end of the episode, in my case, friendship was magic because spoiler alert, that's how every episode of My Little Pony ends. (laughs) Um, But like you would do these things and somebody would say, well, you're just, you're forcing this. And that was the sense that I was having basically from episode three on as well, uh, where you're just sort of like, you know, you you sort of watched Tyrion get dumber, Daenerys Mm -hmm. get more stubborn, Jon get more blindly loyal. Like everybody was getting like lesser Varys, mm-hmm. you know, like like all these characters that had been so smart and so crafty and so intelligent throughout because George R. R. Martin slaved over every single moment as he wrote it, all of a sudden were making these giant leaps that you were just like, okay. Right. Yeah. And we and we grabbed for the listeners, we grabbed dinner beforehand and we were chatting yeah. and Game of Thrones popped up and one of the waitresses stopped by. She's like, Did you all just say Circe? What did you all think? And we brief we had a very brief uh, mm-hmm. exchange with her and she's like, I feel like it needed more action because it just got boring. I was like, No, you didn't need more action because if you don't care about the people within the action, it's just stuff. Yeah, on the it's screen. just explosions. Uh, when did the when did the ambivalence uh, settle in with you, Shannon? Because uh, Michael says uh, episode three of season eight. When did you Episode three. Um, oh, same after, thing. Yeah, after episode one, um, okay. I, I was like, something seems off. Yeah, something seems not right. Why I is it, it as magical as I remember it being? Yeah, and yeah. like you know, I watched it twice that night. Mm. I went, I went to one party, watched it there. Went to another party, watched it there. And then oh, on the so popular. Oh, oh wow! Oh, I know. Did Gabay have two parties? Okay, okay, all right. <laughs> so in the second episode, we watched the inside the episode thing where they're talking about, oh, yeah. and, and you know, they're saying, oh, we really wanted to get this bigger set because we've never been outside the castle. I'm like, bigger's not necessarily better. I mean, you don't well, you don't really... Okay. <laughs> all right. That's a different show. Go ahead. Um, we don't necessarily need to see all this stuff outside of the castle. All the good stuff is it's the, it's the interplay between the characters. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I don't know, halfway through episode three, because, uh, okay. I mean, again, I had issues with the way it was staged. And I'm like, yeah, this, you're just kind of cheaping out right now. Like, we, we're, we're waiting for this big battle and everything's kind of done in the dark. Yeah. That is where, by the end of episode three is where the ambivalence set in. And, and you contrast that with episode two, which was a very internal episode. Yeah. No one, uh, I don't think anyone died in episode two. Nope. Uh, was, I thought episode it was two was conversations. It was funny. Mm-hmm. It, it was, was the old there, school. There, game there was little. tension. Yep. There was stakes. Yeah. Was, like, that was when I was like, okay, I know that they said that they're – they said that they did it in only six episodes because they didn't have much story left to tell. And they're spending one full episode with just these characters looking at their reactions. I was like, okay, I'm back. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Like episode one, I had a little concern. But episode two, I was back in. I was back into it. And, and then it fell apart. I have a question. Uh, so I think with episode three, another thing that hit me and it kind of seemed to be that case. I've heard this criticism before and episode three really kind of solidified it. Benioff and Weiss seem to be less interested, less mm. uh, focused on the magic of the world. Oh, they, yeah. love, they love the people. They love the politics. Mm-hmm. They love all that. They love the character interplay. But the magic they never really fully seemed to grasp. 
and that was something that had been criticized earlier in in seasons that fell short. And I think like for me, the thing with that episode three with the with the battle uh, at Winterfell was. You know, this army of the dead that had been built up for seasons and seasons and seasons to kind of show up and to just go out and like, look, I thought the way Arya took out the Night King was awesome. I thought there were some beautiful, amazing shots. There was some really cool stuff when you could see it. But the fact that that just ended, the fact that Bran and his warging and his three-eyed raven never really seemed to come to fruition. So a question I have for you is, uh, Michael, what are some of the elements from the show earlier, whether it's mm. earlier in seasons or from the books? Like, what are some of the prophecies that didn't get fulfilled? What are some of the things that, uh, kind of in the same way as Lost, like they wrapped up stories for our main characters? They kind of gave us an ending, but it feels like there was a lot of plot threads, a lot of things that were left dangling that never really fully got realized for people. Yeah. So, so when it comes to, I'll, I'll focus on the prophecies for a second because I think they're absolutely critical to our understanding of this final season and. There's three that really stand out, two of which are more applicable to the Bells and to the uh, the Iron Throne, so the final mm-hmm. two episodes. But one, I think, which really came out in the long night, and that's the Azor High prophecy. So the prince that was promised, Azor High, sometimes interchangeable, sometimes, you know, they're they're considered separate prophecies. One is Westerosi, one is Remesos. Uh, so Azor High is the hero that is going to come and defeat the, we presume, the White Walkers, but the the great evil that is facing the land mm-hmm. and, and bring peace. In my in my interpretation of this, George R. R. Martin does a brilliant job of leaving this prophecy very open to interpretation, and I don't think he is ever going to resolve it. I think if hmm. the books ever do get finished, there is still going to be debate over whether Azor Ahai is referencing Jon Snow or whether it is referencing Daenerys Targaryen. Hmm. Because there are equally good arguments for both. And one of the things that he does is he's not going to spoon feed you the answer. Bran is not going to have a conversation with the Red God Roller and he's going to say, Jon Snow is my actual champion, end of story, full stop. That's, that's not going to happen. There's going to be open interpretation as things go on. And I think that's the case for many of these prophecies and many of these things that we see. So in The Long Night, uh, in, in the, the episode three, you know, everyone is looking for that Azor Ahai moment mm-hmm. when someone comes out and defeats the Night King and fulfills the prophecy and all of the backstory lines up and everything works. And that didn't happen because we saw Arya kill the Night King, which was out of left field and genuinely surprised me. And by the way, I have no problem with Arya killing the Night King. Okay. I think that is perfectly fine. First of all, because the Night King doesn't exist in the books. Uh, and second of all, because it was just a badass moment and I really enjoyed it. What? <laughs> the Night King doesn't exist. What? So yeah. the Night King does not exist in the books. Hmm. Uh, the Night King is something that was created for television because it is good to have a single villain that people can see uh-huh. and people can focus on. So it was a good move by the producers to create the Night King to have that personified villain that is threatening the world. Hmm. But in the books, it doesn't exist. In the books, it is just this magical existential threat that is coming down from the north that is going to kill everybody. So there is some hero that is going to defeat it. According to the prophecy, he defeats the evil with a flaming sword called mm. Lightbringer. That's in the early seasons. Melisandre thinks that Stannis is Azor Ahai because he has a flaming sword. The flaming sword isn't really Lightbringer. Stannis is not really Azor Ahai. We know that now. So she puts her her marvels with, uh, with Jon Snow. Right. Daenerys Targaryen, on the other hand, she might not have a flaming sword, but she has three dragons. Mm. So that is very easily interpreted as the light bringer of the prophecy, and she will come and deliver the world from this evil. Jon Snow has a Valyrian steel sword, which is imbued with dragonflyer. Right. Fine. Also a flaming sword. I had a big problem with the way that the show dealt, to, to Michael's point, about the magic. 
the way that uh, the Night King was immune to dragon fire. Because in my mind, there's no way that the White Walkers are immune to dragon fire. Mm. The entire reason Valerian Steel kills a White Walker is because it is forged with dragon fire. The entire reason that uh, Dragonglass kills White Walkers is because Dragonglass is mined from a cave where the dragons lived for centuries. Dragon fire is is critical to this mythos. Okay. Uh, we talk about a song of ice and fire. The White Walkers are ice. The dragons are fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm sort of going into my own head, my own head canon with yeah. this kind of stuff, my own interpretations. But I think these are these are things that are pretty easy reaches in the conclusion of the books to see how things go on. Okay. We've never seen a dragon kill a Night Walker. We've never seen anyone kill a White Walker except for Stamp Tarly in the books. Right. So that's sort of looking into the future. But I think it's a safe. It's a safe step to say that that will happen. And speaking of the Lord of Light and Melisandre and everything, like how do you feel that was wrapped up in the series? Because really, after the Battle for the Dead, uh, you know that was kind of it for the Lord of Light. Mm. I think, like you know, I think uh, Sir Davos mentions it to Tyrion in the following episode of like, well, she died, never going to know what the Lord of Light wanted. Right. But I mean, the Lord of Light was such a big part of the series with Melisandre, with everybody. Like, 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 where do you? How do you feel about how that was all wrapped up? I think it was fine. Uh, I think it was fine. I, like I said, I don't think we are going to get this moment where the god comes and speak to us in per- speaks to us mm. in person in the books. I think because the books are written from the POV of these characters, we experience what they experience. We understand what they understand. And these characters are never going to understand God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I or do, democracy or apparently. or democracy. Apparently. <laughs> so I think that it was I think that it was fine to leave that mysterious and to leave some of these things yeah. unfinished. And and so so like I said, uh, I think that when we finish the books, we are going to see that. I mean, again, if the books ever gets finished, I think that there is going to be an argument to be made that Daenerys with her dragons was the hero that delivered the humans from the White Walker threat. There's also going to be an argument that Jon Snow, with his leadership, with his flaming sword, with you know his charisma, with his ability to bring nations together, he was the hero that delivered the humans from the from the existential threat. It, yeah. it can go either way, and I think that's not something that's going to be resolved. I think that's the frustrating part of it, is people get caught up in the Yas Queen moments, and I, it frustrates me a little bit. And I, I, and can, I, you, can you, if you're going to do Yas Queen, <laughs> do I'm properly. actually going to need you to do it properly. I mean, as a heterosexual man, you still, if you're going to bring it up, you have to do it. Yeah, because uh, people like Arya, oh, Arya killed the Night King. Arya deserves this. Arya deserves that. Sure. And then then you say, yes, queen, but like... Okay, that was better. That was better. But like, but Danny is the real reason, which Miss Sunday gets that line in episode three where she says, none of you would be even having this conversation, uh, uh, Sansa and Tyrion, if it wasn't for Danny. And she gets forgotten in this whole thing that frustrates the living well, hell out of me. Yes, I know Sansa looks powerful now in her great cloaks and all that, and Arya is an assassin and all that, but Danny has been except, the I reason. I don't think we have to choose. Well, except, no, but, it, but, but except, I think people are choosing to no, bash Danny and promote Arya I don't and think Sansa. that's true. I think, look, like take episode three, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that... Danny did some awesome thing in episode three and everyone's ignoring it and choosing Arya. Like Benioff and Weiss made the choice for John and Danny to sort of fly around for 80 minutes yeah, yeah, yeah. and get lost and have Danny to kind of come down so that Jorah could protect her so that he could die. So again, it's like, I don't think that, I, I think everyone's on board with Danny being, everyone is all about Yas Queen with Danny. Like there are memes well, there was. of her with the glasses coming down, with the bombs going up behind her. People, people love Danny. People love Arya. They do. Again, because this season was so rushed, 
they made choices about Daenerys and what she was or wasn't going to do so that, like, they didn't give her awesome, amazing moments. Right. They gave them to Arya and Sansa. So that's not that's fans, my complaint. But that's not the fans. But the fans are saying she went crazy. She went nuts. Because blah, she blah, blah, did. Blah. Well, I no. so I I want to I want to jump on this. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to talk to John about this because <laughs> I listened to the to your show from last week. I appreciate so, that, Michael. Thank you. And so I know that you're so from me from my mm. point of view, what happened to Danny in the last two episodes was was inevitable. It was something that was going to happen. Fair. I I want to hear your now that you've seen the finale. Yeah. Has your position changed about Danny? I feel the writers really screwed her character over. And I think Amelia Clark is right to be upset about how this went down. I think she gave it away. I didn't want to believe. I thought people were making uh, too much out of that interview where she said, it's fine. I thought people were making too much. Now it's very clear that she did feel that they screwed her character over. You read that EW article that came out on today, which is Monday. Uh, where she says, like, she cried reading this because she didn't want to accept that this was the way they were going to treat her character and do her character. She cried. She walked five hours and got blisters on her feet because she couldn't accept this is what they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Called her mom in tears to help her navigate the situation because I think she instinctively felt as a woman and as a woman who – and as an actress who brought this character to life that what they were doing to this character was completely eliminating the strength and power in the character and the respect that this character deserved. So if you're going to take her down this path, give her the weight to let the fans understand why she's going down this path so it becomes a tragedy rather than an evil judgment on her, a judgment of evil on her. That's what I thought was a, was a, a disservice by Benioff I, and Weiss and the creators. I actually love the idea. I mean, and I think, and this is what they're going for clearly, but I love the idea of building up this person over the course of seasons to be our hero. Right. Where we watch them do kind of questionably create, like, violent things. But also incredibly but, awesome things. And incredibly awesome things. And the, but when they do the violent things, where I was like, well, those are the bad guys, so it's okay, and she's awesome. And oh my God, she's powerful. Oh, that was so badass. Look what she did. Mm. She crucified these people. She burned these people. Oh, but she's doing it to free the people. She's great. And then to turn it on its head, but... In order to successfully do that, you have to be with her up to the point that she does it. Like you have to literally be like, yes, yes, yes. And because, again, they were so rushed, they they forced her into doing some things and making some decisions mm. that were such big leaps for her as a character, even despite her history, that you sort of saw it coming. You saw it getting weird and you were like, I don't. I don't I don't totally buy this and I'm actually with you like yeah. I actually think had they given that a little bit more runway had we been on her side a little bit more which would mean maybe being on Sansa's side a little bit less maybe thinking everybody else wasn't giving her the benefit of the yeah. doubt people questioning her even though they shouldn't because she clearly has these successes behind her yeah. and then she does a thing and then having a couple episodes where everybody was like fuck what what do we do about that right. and like Again, those would that would have made it actually this very beautiful tragic story. Whereas what we got instead was sort of like a Cliff's Notes version of that. Well, and they split the. Oh, I'm sorry, Shannon. You could, please. No, cut, no. I was gonna. I was gonna ask Michael. So I mean, everyone is kind of saying, okay, she went. She went full Mad Queen. Well, not right everyone. Now. Well, uh, the majority are saying she went full Mad Queen. That was just, not just the writers. That, <laughs> that was not the impression that I got, and, and and I don't know if that's because of the writing or because of the way they shot it. I'm like, I don't feel like she's she's crazy. I feel like she's pissed off, and that's what ultimately drove her to barbecue all these people. Do you feel like they handled her going mad well? Oh, absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. Mm. So and in the so reason, we're all in agreement the, on that. I I, yeah. I do think that they I think that the writers intended for her to to go mad uh, to mm-hmm. to really sure. have this Targaryen moment, fire and blood, and all that stuff. Uh, but Michael talked about this last week. One of Daenerys's fundamental character traits throughout the entire series, literally up until the episode The Bells, has been her empathy, mm-hmm. has been her defense of the defenseless yes. and her sticking up and trying to save people. And we saw this. And you can talk to me about her being ruthless all day long, and I will not disagree. She has been ruthless to people in power and to people who oppose her. Mm-hmm. But for her to go out and murder innocent civilians who are not opposing her mm-hmm. and soldiers who have laid down their swords and surrender – that is out of character, and it is a snap that is mm-hmm. dramatically out of character for her. So I thought that that was done. It was it, it was ham fisted, and and it was too rushed, and it didn't. I mean, people didn't believe it. They didn't believe what they were seeing because it didn't have the proper care taken in order to get her to that moment. And then we saw in the finale, we saw in her conversation with John, mm-hmm. she feels no remorse. Right. She feels absolutely no remorse and no sympathy for the innocence that she slaughtered. And it it was really and John, I know you and I spoke about this earlier today mm. uh, in preparation for this, but like again, all we got because we had no time, yeah. was John walked in and she said, "We're gonna free the world or whatever well, well, she, and then yeah, but like but like there was to your point, there was no moment of Danny, what did you do to allow her to justify it to explain it to say right. I feel bad but like there was no ability to actually delve into this which is again what was so great about early seasons of Game of Thrones where you would have like Tywin mm-hmm. Lannister talking to Jamie in great detail about the way that he leads or you know like you had all these characters that or Tywin dis- and Arya which were yeah, scenes you, you well, had all yeah. these characters of all these moments of characters talking to each other about what it means to lead, what it means to have power, mm. what it means, all this stuff. And, like, now we were robbed of that because we were just on, like, the fucking expressway to uh, to the montage ending. And well, she and she equates freedom with death in that conversation. Mm-hmm. By, by killing these people, she has set them free. And that's what distinguishes her from a ruthless dictator, for, from mm-hmm. a brilliant military tactician, or any, anyone else who has killed their enemies without remorse, like Tywin Lannister – that's what makes her mad. In some cultures, though, that is a respectful way to carry out war, to destroy all the soldiers completely. The soldiers. soldiers. Right. Soldiers. Right. Right. And I get – obviously, I'm not glossing over After they over surrender? I'm a, yes. It is to remove – it is you died in an honorable way fighting. You lost. You now die as a soldier should die. But this is not that way. culture. Right. Well, I don't – right. Fair. Maybe I, Maybe yes, maybe no. I don't know the Targaryen. We had eight seasons of, of world. We didn't have Targaryen eight seasons though. I don't know what the Targaryen culture well, is. Except, right? the, only thing, except the only thing that you can pull from, again, to, Robert, mm-hmm. to Robertson's point, is you can pull from eight seasons of how Daenerys acted. Right. Which was, yeah. but which was at times, uh, you know, judge, uh, what, jury, and executioner, and and so this and so I didn't find this. I, I found the snap to be like you guys. I agree with you. I think overall, I think it was the wrong thing, obviously, for her to do. Yes, and maybe I haven't been clear about that. And I think we all agree, though, that the way they got to the snap was clumsy and uh, disrespectful to her character in the long run. So that the snap happens, and you force the fandom to divide. Be too, and, sh- and say she's evil or she's mad or no, you're not giving her a chance. 
balance out the other things she did, blah, blah, blah. You keep talking about the snap mistake. and balance, and I'm just picturing her with an infinity gauntlet. I'm getting very, <laughs> I'm getting very People geek. People did compare her to Thanos. I'm getting very geek confused over here. Yeah. And I liked what she said. We don't have time for small mercies. We have bigger fish to fry. The problem is that she was dealing with people who were thinking small. She had a larger view of the world that she wanted I mean, to implement. Again, and get, and and, and I, just to finish my point, she has been going on multiple continents doing this while these fuck people have been dancing around. I wanted to keep us out of the explicit ranking, but I, although the rest of these, <laughs> while the rest of these people are sitting here in one landmass trying to finagle over seven kingdoms. She is thinking about the world and freeing it of slavery. You could argue that her methods are at times tyrannical, sure. But her overall point is to release people from these prisons. Well, except that – By killing them. Some, not all. Except that everything she did across the sea I wouldn't define as tyrannical. I would define it as as ruthless. I would define Mm. it as cutthroat. I would define her as a scary scary lady – um, but she wasn't tyrannical again until she just randomly killed innocent people that she didn't need to kill. And, and again, fair. I think that I think that I would have loved a little bit of gray in this area. I would have loved for there to be a a we tactical a tactical reason where by killing innocent people, she actually got to Cersei or she got something, so that there was at least the gray area of her being able to say. This sucked, but I had to do it. She said and then that. John or Tyrion could be like, that's why you can't. Like, had it been a gray area, it would have been a way more interesting wrap up to the season. Whereas what she did was so black and white that I was, I mean, we, t- we discussed yeah. that. That's why last week I was like, no, she's going to die. But I, yeah. I would argue that she did say, to, she did try to create the gray by saying to John, um, but again, I'm not what talking she about. Said, what did she say to John to explain why she, oh, Cersei tried to use these people as a shield, thinking that I wouldn't do except, this. Except that I wanted she to show I could do shield. this. Except, yeah. and again, and again, <laughs> what she says this is a logical point. This is, but this it's is true. what the writers did that really irked me, which is Daenerys is right, but the writers made her wrong. Yes, like yes. Cersei did lead yep. all of those yep. into the Red uh, Keep. All yep. of them into the Red Keep. She let all those innocent people went into the Red Keep, saying that she was going to protect them. And really, she was using them as a shield. And Daenerys says she tried to use the innocence against me. Mm -hmm. But what happened at the end of the bells was not, I'm going to go burn these people to get to Cersei. Right, right, right. What happened at the end of the bells was, fuck it, let's just burn (laughs) everything. Well, we're explicit now. All right. Yeah. So, so So there's a fantastic series of essays that was written by... Uh, I mean, the in the books, Daenerys hasn't left Marine yet, so right, we right. are still many seasons behind. So we have to rely on interpretation and uh, and fan fiction effectively. But, Can I ask one question? Yeah. Is is she having the struggles in Marine that she has in the books? So I mean, in the at, books that she that she had on the show. So at at this point, she is really struggling with the accepting herself as a Targaryen who is going to embrace fire and blood versus being a benevolent leader. So she really is struggling with that how to lead thing. And she's just been betrayed in Marine, and she has escaped Ondrogon the first time that she has ridden her dragon. For the Sons of the Harpy. Yes. Okay. Yes. So she has fled Marine. Uh, What's being called the Battle of Fire is happening in Marine at this moment with the the other slave cities in Volantis going up against Marine. Anyway, uh, so there's this guy on the internet who goes by the username Brendan Beefish, uh, mm. who is one of the moderators of the A Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. And he has written a tremendous number of essays about what is going to happen in the Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring. And what his 
expected arc for Daenerys, which makes a lot of sense and which leads very neatly into what we saw, mm. is her getting steadily more comfortable with the idea of casualties of war yeah. and collateral damage. So, you know, she's in this situation right now where the other slave cities are attacking Marine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his point is that she is going to start by just completely leveling the city of Yunkai. Mm-hmm. She then goes th- from there and they, you know, gather their forces and they f- sail away from Marine. They stop over in Volantis, who was one of the allies of Yunkai. And now this is a much more populous city. Uh, Yunkai at that point is pretty much filled with these evil, evil people, so it's easy to level that one. Volantis is a more gray area. There's a much more populous city. She levels that one. Mm. And then she goes to Pentos, and he says that you know Pentos is where she grew up. It is a very free city. She levels Pentos. So she gets steadily more, mm. more vicious on this journey from Essos to Westeros, uh, presumably at that point, Tyrion becomes her hand. He starts talking her down from this ledge, and she ha- is trying to be more of a benevolent leader in Westeros until she eventually snaps and burns King Lake. So she's Lake. essentially... Oh, sorry, sorry, Michael. So what, if the show had done something like that, where there was a single moment mm. in her history where she didn't feel bad about the collateral damage, where she was willing to, she said many times, I'll burn your cities to the ground, but she's never done it. If she had a single moment where she really considered that in the show, then I would have believed this this snap, I mean, as you say, don't you much think, more fully than I did. Don't you think that's what they were trying to do with uh, with the Tarleys? Not the Tarleys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, it was the, tar- yeah, the Randall Tarleys. Randall and Dickon. But she yeah. specifically did not do that. In her conversation to that army, she said, I will not rule a city of ashes. I will not level King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Dickon Carley and uh, uh, Randall. And Randall Tarley, like, literally asked for her to execute yes. them. They yes. literally asked for it. Because she said, just bend the knee that's, and we'll be fine. That's not collateral damage. Right. Like, that was that's a military a decision. Death. That was a soldier's death. That yeah. was an execution for people who were guilty of going yeah, up yeah, against yeah. her. Because everyone else bent the knee. Yeah. But Let wasn't it Tyrion who also said, throw them in a cell for a couple of weeks and maybe they're going to sing a different song? Yeah, could we have this sure. conversation now? Fuck that little guy. I am so oh, mad at him <laughs> over the last two seasons. And maybe the writers, maybe this is a writer situation as well. I hate that I'm in this camp. I did not want to be in the camp against the writers. I did not want to be in the camp against Benioff and Weiss the way they did over the last 13 episodes. I wanted to f- believe that they knew their way out of this. And now I hate that I'm in this camp, that I agree with a majority hey. of the people who are watching. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. Welcome to camp. We've got s'mores. <laughs> uh, is it dragon fire? Are you burning it over dragon fire? <laughs> but like, I've, yeah. I've, got, I've got a valerian mushroom stick. And, uh... <laughs> but, but it does really seem like repeatedly, like, Tyrion, you give terrible advice. Please be my advisor. Yes, constantly. <laughs> and he gets to do the puppy dog eyes and get away with it. Well, the frustration level I felt when they brought him out, when Grey Worm, first of all, let me tell you, something tell, tell me as a person of color we'd have killed that mofo and Jon Snow let me just tell you that right now second thing you bring that fool out he's got the longer beard and he they Grey Worm says shut the hell up you got nothing to say but Doe Eyes goes you're right I don't have anything to say except this why is the council listening to this idiot about who should be Freaking king. And yeah. I think it's sad because Dinklage is a fantastic actor. And they give him incredible stuff to do this season. It was almost like Dinklage said, hey, listen, can I win an Emmy this year? Can you give me some extra scenes? Did sure. he win an Emmy? Did he no, ever win an Emmy? I don't know if, he's ha- if he has. He's been nominated. I'm sure he's been nominated. He, but he, this is the frustrating part. I felt that people were like, his advice is terrible. But, but he does the doe eyes. 
and everyone just forgives him well, and gives him more chances. Again, I mean, we're just gonna I'm gonna beat this into the ground. Yeah. Tyrion for the first five and a half, six seasons of the show mm-hmm. was brilliant. Great. And the conflict for him was he was always the smartest in the room. He should have been Tywin's pride and joy. Right. But because he was and deformed, if- everybody didn't want to listen to him. He was an embarrassment. He was gross. But he had to get ahead. He mm-hmm. the, re- the only reason he was even surviving in this world is because he was so much smarter than everybody yeah. else. But then you reach a point where the writers are trying to get everything to where they get it, and you run into this problem where, like, fuck, this guy is too smart for us. Mm -hmm. Like, we're trying to rush everything. We need to rush these characters to get where they need to get. And this guy is too smart to be rushed. We got to make him kind of dumb. Yeah. I mean, that's that's literally what happened. And so it's very frustrating because in order to get to the end – he had to make a bunch of boneheaded decisions. He had to rely on this, like this, like I'm trusting my sister. I'm mm-hmm. trusting my sister. Mm-hmm. When it's like, there's, you didn't trust her before. You were yeah. you were thinking three steps ahead of her for seasons, and now you're not. And that's that's I agree with you. And then don't even get me started on look. Nobody loves a speech about the importance of storytelling more than me. I think story is the most important thing, and everything he said uh, to them at the end, I thought was. Sentiments that I believe, sure, but not the time, not the time, Tyrion. Mm-hmm. And then, and the internet was blowing up with this today, but like to sit there and say with a straight face, yeah, hey guys, Bran, hey ladies, Bran's got this the, guy, Bran's got the best, got story. The best story, yeah, when he's sitting story. between Arya and Sansa, yeah, yeah, it's like, and Jon Snow is right across the, the way, yeah, yeah. Jon Snow's guys, right there. Bran disappeared for a season and nobody cared that much, right. Like, he did not have – he has a cool story. Like, I'll grant you. Sure. He has a better story than, like, Edmer Tully. Sure. He doesn't have a better story than what's-his-face who all of a sudden got super hot after, like, drinking his mom's breast for too many years. What was his Robert name? Robert Aaron. <laughs> Rob Aaron got Up hot. Yeah. That's a good story. Okay. But, yeah, like, Brant – oh, God. Yeah. I would say Davos has a great story uh, as Davos well. Davos has an incredible story. Right from a son of a whatever it was in the lowest rank, lowest uh, level of class that he could grow up in to uh, become the Onion Knight and become all this through the Baratheons. It's incredible. So, yeah, I thought it was – but, see, and that's the thing. And, and look, some people pushed back at me today because I brought up the fact that I didn't like the fact in, in the season finale is two dudes in a room deciding what to do with this woman. I hated the optics of that. And somebody that we work with got mad at me about it. Say, I'm so sick of this and white people this and white people that. And I'm like, no. Or men this and men that. It's not women. And I'm like, no, that's not what this is about. It's about two people, two men in a room deciding what they should do about this quote unquote crazy woman. And I just thought in 2019 the optics of that was ridiculous only to be topped. By Tyrion saying this about Bran in front of these two women who have endured the most insane amount of stuff, I, and I just to to go with the the dude, the white, the, the not the I'm sorry to go with the guy, and somebody, I just thought it was terrible. Somebody tweeted today. They said, "I feel like Arya sitting there listening to Tyrion talk about how Bran has the best story is how all women in America feel right now." <laughs> I think that pretty much. I mean, no wonder she wanted to get on a boat suddenly for the first time. <laughs> Go explore. So I did want to ask you about that. So yeah. there's 
There's a character in the books that was a female adventurer. Wait, wait, wait. That... Before we jump in there, can we get uh, Shannon's? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. What's your opinion on the Tyrion situation? Because I know you've been kind of silent for the last 10, 15 minutes. What's your opinion on the Tyrion and how what they did with him? Do you do you now? Did you change on him as well? Or you no, prepared? I mean, I, again, I, I episode three, emotionally disconnected. Gotcha. <laughs> but from the seasons I, I, before to where you got to there with Tyrion? I mean, I, I, I didn't think any of his decisions were that were that terrible. Okay. I was like, all right, this is this is what is happening because, as Michael has said, this is what is happening because this is what needs to happen. Oh, I got you. So, I mean, again, I was not getting that invested in all the things that he may or may not have been doing okay. wrong. But, I mean, I had a question for Michael, too, but ask your question first. I was going to ask about uh, – because we – Arya – here's what I'll say. Emotionally, I don't mind Arya jumping on a boat and going to be like Arya the pirate, the pirate queen of Westeros. <laughs> like I, I think it's kind of cool. I liked it. She's never expressed an interest in that before. But then I was uh, I was reading that there actually is a character in the books that was like a female adventurer that they're sort of like yeah. seem to be sort of looping this into that or yeah. So there's a there's a character called Elisa Farman, uh, and this is from the Fire and Blood history, so the history of the Targaryens who. Uh, is part of a minor house that it's not worth getting into because Fire and Blood is very, very boring and you shouldn't read it. But there, there's a lot of Targaryens <laughs> in great, the... It's a great book review. Put that, on, <laughs> put that on Amazon. About 50 years after the conquest, after Aegon's conquest, there are just suddenly too many Targaryens running around. And so... <laughs> A uh, few of them get exiled from King's Landing and like take shelter with these various houses. And so one of them, uh, Reyna, I think it was Reyna, she goes and is you know living on this island and develops a very close friendship, a very close rela- relationship with a woman named Elisa Farman. So Elisa Farman is a tomboy. You're led to believe that they have a lesbian relationship. Mm. Uh, and she loves ships. She loves going for ships and she loves going on, on these great voyages. Uh, doesn't matter what happens to Reyna, but eventually Elisa goes out on her own, mm-hmm. steals three dragon eggs from the Targaryens, and goes to Braavos and trades them to have a ship built that, like, no other ship that's ever been built wow. before. It is thought that those three dragon eggs are the ones that eventually become Daenerys' three dragon eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no proof of that, but that's the idea, that these are the three dragon eggs that found their way to Essos. Uh, Elisa Farman then takes that ship, and she sails west of Westeros. She finds a few islands to, like, sort of restock, and then she disappears forever. A hundred years later, someone goes east all the way to Ashai, which is the easternmost city that in the known mm. world, and sees what they believe to be Elisa Farman's ship. Is that where Shay's from, Ashai? That is no, Shay is not from Ashai, uh Melisandre is gotcha. from Ashai. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's like steeped in sorcery in this like evil place. Like you can't eat the food or drink the water, or you die. It's like terrible. Uh but so the thought is that Elisa Farman took this ship and sailed west and just ended up in the eastern part of Essos. Hmm. Uh, the world is round, similar to our world. So I, in my view, to have Arya, who has never expressed an interest in exploring, that's never been something that we've seen her talk about. I think the writers just read this story of Elisa Farman sailing west, and they were like, that's cool. Let's give that to Arya and save the potential for a, a spinoff somewhere down the line if we want to have it. Also, I will say this. like As much as I... I'm not thrilled with where things wrapped up. Arya the Pirate Queen? I would watch that series. <laughs> Only if it's a musical. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm down with Arya the Pirate it's, Queen. It's the musical. a podcast so people can't see Michael Vogel's eyes right now. <laughs> Guys, somebody get HBO on the phone immediately. <laughs> no, Michael, in the books, like they talk about uh, with John, they're saying like no one knows what's west of Westeros. Is that a big sort of prevailing theme in the books? Because it seems a little sort of like, well, nobody knows. 
Yes, yeah, uh, yeah, storms. That's sort of what they think. Uh, so Jar- George R. R. Martin has said uh, publicly that that uh, the planetos, uh, if you will, uh, planetos, planetos is, is how is how we refer to it. Uh, is is round. It is a it is a, a sphere like like Earth is, uh, but it is bigger. And so with the technology available to them, they wouldn't just be able to Christopher Columbus from Europe to America. It would be a much longer journey, and they just wouldn't survive. Gotcha. So it's really just a big ocean. But in the book, in the TV show, they'd be over it in two days. Sure. They'd, they'd cross <laughs> yeah, it they would just days. use Littlefinger's teleportation device. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I really, you know, when you, it is funny because, I mean, early on, around season six, beginning of season seven, is where this teleportation thing became an issue. And at the time, yeah. that was sort of a, well... I it's kind of weird, but I guess it's okay that we're just skipping over it. But when you look back at it now, that really was a precursor to this increase in pacing that yeah. really kind of I feel like became their biggest downfall. Mm. I, and it's it's like I was saying about the journey from from Marine to Westeros. Like that's the sort of thing that should take months and months mm. in order to accomplish. And they just did it in a day. They did it both ways in a day. Varys like leaves Dorne, goes to Marine, and then is sailing back. It literally in the course of two scenes. Uh, and they skipped a lot of opportunity to really develop her character. That's mm. that's when she could have, you know, had her trail of fire, her trail of tears or whatever to mm. to really introduce that madness to Daenerys, which would then pay off in later seasons. Do you think that might be a little bit of hindsight on the writer's part being like, God, we had an opportunity to kind of show this? Well, and, and keep in mind uh, – this this hasn't been written in the books yet. So I don't know for sure that this is what's going to happen. I'm mm. basing this on a lot of people who know a lot more than I do about the series and what their expectations are for the Winds of Winter. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that... I think that in hindsight, the they they are definitely seeing that. I mean, they can't ignore this criticism. Can we sure. move on to Jamie and Cersei? And yeah. how that went down uh, for you as a book reader. I'm sure there must be a special level of frustration on with seeing how Cersei was basically f- flaccidly killed because she had no yeah. f- final trick up her sleeve, a woman who was always one step ahead of everybody else, even when she was three steps behind. So the, the thing about Jamie and Cersei that we got in the books that we don't get in the show is they are both POV characters, and so we see inside mm. both of their heads. And what you see is that Cersei is a complete psychopath, and Jamie is really pretty over her by the end of A Dance with Dragons. Oh, you know, wow. He has already decided that, you know, she's been cheating on him. Like, he, they, she doesn't love him the way that he loved her. He's really already made that decision to leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so going forward from there, I can't envision a place where he would just suddenly wake up and go back and save her. He's given that right. opportunity when she's kidnapped by the faith to go back. She begs him to come rescue her, and he says no. He in the books. Just, in, in the, the books, books. Yeah, he yeah. just continues to wander the Riverlands and eventually meets Lady Stoneheart, which is a whole other thing. Yeah, but uh, so in in my mind, I think the way that they treated Jamie's arc in particular was mm. was very unfair well, in the end. Okay. Uh, you know the way that he just she sent an assassin to kill him. You know he had a fight to the death with her lover. Yeah, uh, you know that would hurt Jamie. He would express some rage and some anger towards Cersei in that final confrontation. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't. And I just didn't understand why they would do that. Yeah. I also think that just even putting the Jamie and Cersei relationship aside, I mean, kind of along the same lines as Tyrion, mm-hmm. like Cersei has been someone who 
would not go down without a fight. Yes. Like she blew up the sept. Like I mean like she like when when she has no she options left, she's got options. She like got she's, she's a survivor. Yeah. And yeah. so to just watch her in this last season, I mean look, nobody stands around with a wine glass better than her. LeBron James. But but yeah. Maybe. <laughs> it's a sports. But reference. she uh but she just she just stood around, said nothing, and then when it was clearly going horribly, mm. said, no, it'll be fine. Yeah. She was like that meme of the dog in the room with the fire. She yeah. was just like, this is fine. And like that's so antithetical to everything we know about her. She's so ruthless and cutthroat. Right. Um, she would have been doing 90 different – like it was – there's just there, – there should have been so much more to it. And they both – both of these characters that were so interesting and so fascinating just seem to just sort of go out with a whimper. Oh, and, yeah. And, ahead, so, so this brings me to the to the second prophecy that I think is critically important mm. to these final two episodes, and that's the Valonqar prophecy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in I think it was season five or season four when the when we saw young Cersei going to this uh, fortune teller or whatever. They cut the prophecy off and we didn't see the end of it. So they cut the prophecy off and we didn't see the final moment where the where the seer tells her the Valonqar will find you and wrap his hands around your throat. And mm. I, I don't know the exact words, but basically like Valonqar, which translates to little brother, the little brother will murder you is, yeah. is what she says. He will wrap his hands around your throat and choke the life out of you. Uh, and Cersei in the books is obsessed with this prophecy, absolutely obsessed with it because she thinks it means Tyrion. She thinks Tyrion is going to come back and kill her. And it literally drives her insane. It's one of the things that drives her insane. Uh, now, Jamie is 10 minutes younger than Cersei. Right. So it is a very easy leap to assume that Jamie will instead be the one to say, to kill Cersei in order to stop her from destroying King's Landing or doing something dramatic, you know, in the same way that he, that he killed Aerys Targaryen. Uh, and they had the opportunity to do that in the show. They had the opportunity to make it very tragic and Shakespearean. Yeah. Jamie should have been pissed. Yes. He should have been pissed at her. And Cersei should have been defiant. She should have been angry well, and stand her ground and say, like, yeah, you know what? I was screwing Euron Greyjoy. Yeah, I sent Bronn to kill you. You disappointed me. You deserved it. He chokes the life out of her. He dies of his wounds. Tragic, wonderful well, television. And yeah. additionally, that would have really at least adjusted – the ending to the Jamie Brienne arc. Yep. Yep. Because rather than going, hey, that was great, babe, but I'm addicted to my sister. Yeah. I'm out, which is just a horrible, awful ending to say, look, I I choose you. I love you. I have to go back and deal with this. Like, she's my responsibility. I have to go back. Like, right. anything like that would have felt better. And then the fact that he didn't get to go back to Brienne or anything, it, it, like, I'm not, it doesn't have to be that per se, but that seems like a much more emotionally upsetting and tragic but also satisfying end to all of the Brienne the Jamie the Cersei all of it and that's what I thought was going to happen when he said like I'm addicted to my sister I thought he was protecting Brienne like he's like no I don't want you to get caught in this and then to discover like he wasn't doing that he actually was telling the truth yeah and he wanted to go back and like give her some consolation before it all ended it was horrible to watch in which case why did he leave in the first place right why did he leave her in the first place he expected to go north and die yeah if he was so concerned with protecting Cersei why did he leave her? Because if he went north and the army of the dead won, then Cersei's on her own without him. Yeah. If he went north and he defeated the army of the army of the dead, then exactly what we saw happen happens. And he I I just don't understand it. I did not understand his motivations at all. Yeah, and I think they really um I don't know what it is about um Gwendolyn Christie, but these are two franchises now that have really pissed her character away. 
with Star Wars and with Game of Thrones. Brienne of Tarth, they gave her that knighting, which I thought was fantastic. What a yeah. beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. First female knight, Sir Brienne of Tarth. Great. But then they completely undercut it by having her sleep with Jamie and then become heartbroken and crying when Jamie leaves. This well, is she did wh- come back as Lord Commander of the King's Guard. Right, sure. But she then wrote about then well. did his Wikipedia page, which is, <laughs> is, is a bunch of bull- it was a bunch of bullshit. I thought that was so undercutting. Jamie Lannister is a fugly piece of shit. <laughs> it should have been a bird book. And I it did, should have been a bird book. I did not ever like him no matter what you heard. Do not trust him. <laughs> <laughs> He's a jack. Um, I, yeah, you are look, she did get I don't like I don't like the moment when Jamie left. I think it's kind of a shitty moment. But all in all, Brienne of Tarth yeah. gets a way better end of the stick than Captain Phasma does. Well, sh- yes, Captain Phasma never had her hand on the stick. I mean, yeah, she, yeah. Right. she was wasted right. from the beginning. Unless she shows up in nine, which I kind of think she will. So um, that's <laughs> three, a whole three strikes. Captain Phasma, <laughs> I, you, you all know I love I love I love I love Force Awakens. I love Last Jedi. I do not love. The Captain Phasma arc, and that's a whole conversation for another day. I agree. It's a whole lot of situation. Um, uh, you have one last uh, prophecy, or did we talk about them all? Yeah, so the the last prophecy is the one that I, I said earlier that uh, John betraying Daenerys and, and killing her seemed right. inevitable to me. And that really started to, to form at the end of last season, because one of the prophecies that goes back and forth in Daenerys's head is the prophecy of three. So this comes to her in the House of the Undying. They say three fires you must light, three mounts you must ride, and uh, three treasons you will know. For each one of those three things, we know what the first two are. We believe we know what the first two are. The third one is always about love. So three fires you will light, one for one for life, one for death, one for love. Three mounts you will ride, one to bed, one to dread, one to love. You know, all, So the third one is always love. We know the, the first fire is when she... Uh, burned Caldrogo, mm-hmm. and out of it came three living dragons. So that's a fire for life. Uh, the second fire is most likely uh, when she burns down the House of the Undying, so bringing death mm. to the deathless. So one for life, one for death, one for love. And then the third fire I have now interpreted is talking about Jon Snow by bringing him, uh, by by getting him to accept that he's a Targaryen by bringing him to her dragons. Mm. Uh Mounts you must ride. You know she rode Cal Drogo all day long. Uh, <laughs> yeah. She rode. Yeah, Dro- she did. She rode Drogon the dragon, and then she fell in love with Jon Snow, and she rode him. So three mounts. Like Jon Snow is the third part of each one of these triplets. Damn. Okay, which brings Ooh. us. To, and then there's it's getting the hot in here. Oh my! So then there's the treasons. The three treasons you will know the uh, once for blood, once for gold, once for love. So the first treason for blood is Miri Mazdor from the right. first season when. She trusts her, and but she swore a blood oath, and you know that was her first betrayal, and what makes her very skeptical of people. The second one is Jorah in the second or third season right. when it's revealed that he has been selling her secrets to Varys for the entire time. Mm-hmm. Second treason for gold. The third treason, again, we don't know, but now, but yeah. you know, yeah. having come to the conclusion that Jon Snow is the third part of each of these, I had come to assume that Jon Snow would betray her. He would be the treason for love. And he and he would do her in in the final episode. Mm. Man, speaking of Jon Snow, the uh, the reveal that he's a Targaryen kind of just went nowhere fast. Didn't that it? went nowhere. So much of so much of what was so revealed much, in this season went so much build fast. up that just kind of fell flat. Who yeah. was Varys writing those letters to? Right, that, Dorn. That like talk about a loose thread. Like I think he didn't, was uh, didn't for, go anywhere. Four Chan. Yeah. 
<laughs> Brilliant. Who's the guy that does the, the essays? Uh, he was writing them to him. Writing to Brendan Beefen. Yeah. <laughs> Put this in your Reddit. Yeah. No, I, I think. What are you doing? I'm writing an article for The Ringer. <laughs> by the way, great coverage by The Ringer on Game of Thrones. Love reading their oh, coverage yeah. in the morning. Uh, and Collider too. I want to uh, Collider.com does nice stuff as well. Um, the uh, sh- what were you just saying about which one were you? I just Targaryens, Jon Snow, Targaryens. Okay, I lost it. Oh well, and, I had. And it. I think that it ha- it will be a much bigger deal in the books. I think it has to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know what form that will take. Uh, but given that one of the reasons that that George R. R. Martin felt comfortable hiring Benioff and Weiss to begin with is because they knew that Jon Snow was the son of yeah. of. Uh, Rhaegar and Lyanna right. uh, in those early years before it became common knowledge on the on the boards and all that stuff. Are there they, clues to his parentage in the oh, early? Oh, tons. Or, okay, tons of clues. Mm. Tons of clues. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I mean, some people still think that uh, Martin's going to pull a fast one, and it's not actually going to be. Tr- the, they're the equivalent of flat earthers. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. Jon Snow is the child of, of Rhaegar and Lyanna. <laughs> So um, as a walking Westerosi encyclopedia, Michael. Um, w- yeah, there's going to be so many comments on this for all the things that I got wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, discounting Fans season seven and eight, as a big fan of the books, what, what is the best thing that Benioff and Weiss have added? Mm. Oh, the best thing that they added. Good question. Uh, I loved what they did with uh, Talisa, uh, Rob Stark's. Wife right. in the early season. She's I, to me, she is a much better character uh, than the girl he hooks up with in the books. Okay. Uh, I also think that removing Lady Stoneheart was was a good move. Okay, I think Lady Stoneheart, who is the resurrected corpse of Catelyn Stark, is a lot of horror fluff that doesn't really need to exist. But maybe it'll pay off later. Mm. There are a lot of people who love Lady Stoneheart. For me, it just seems very strange and odd and not fitting in the world. There's a lot of things that they cut that I think were uh, are, are sort of extra in the books and don't need to be there. Mm. Um, so I, I think they, they made better choices with taking away than they did with adding, probably. Gotcha. What about Benjamin Stark? Is he in the books? Uh, so we know that Benjamin disappeared behind the wall. Yes. Uh, we know that Cold Hands is a character that exists. Yes. We don't know that Benjamin is Cold Hands. Okay, okay. I had to ask about that because and, and that's again I think that's something that's not going to be resolved. I think they are going right. I think he is going to leave a lot of these threads hanging. Hmm. Uh, like Benioff and Weiss did. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean I think it's like it's funny as we talk about this, uh, and as we start to sort of like take a step back and look at the series as a whole, it's like George R. R. Martin a hundred percent created this amazingly intricate, fascinating world. But as someone who's read the first three books, I could not make it through Feast of Crows. Um you know, it is slow. It's plotting. There's a lot going on. And Benioff and Weiss, with these last two seasons, obviously have been taking a lot of flack everywhere for mm. the way that they sort of rushed everything. It really does seem like the combination of George R. R. Martin and Benioff and Weiss was the winning combination. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's just – it's a really interesting thing. That has happened uh, with Game of Thrones. Yeah, because yeah. I, don't, I don't like it when people give Martin too much credit. I mean those, those last two books – the first three books were great because they were books. They had a beginning, mm. a middle, and end. There was a clear storyline, and you yeah. know you got some resolution. You got some cliffhangers, but you got some resolution. The someone on uh, I can't I can't remember what blog it was, but somebody wrote that the the final two books 
are two thirds of one book which he left unfinished. Hmm. So like there's there's no end. It's all middle. It's all middle, oh. and you don't get a satisfying resolution to literally any of the characters in in A Feast for Crows or A Dance with Dragons. So Martin's not perfect. You know, he he went from having very strong action set pieces with very strong character development to having these long world building journeys mm. that really just weren't that interesting in a lot of ways. Well, so yeah, good. No, I was going to ask. I was going to ask everybody. I mean, uh, we've we've obviously, as has the rest of the internet, talked exhaustively about what mm. does what was not working about these past two seasons for us. Uh, and welcome to the camp, John. Now that you're on 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 team, it's not working with us. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still wearing my Danny shirt. Um. <laughs> What do you think the highlights of season eight were for you? What were the best moments of season eight? Uh, I I really liked episode two. I liked Mm -hmm. those quiet character moments that happened. Uh, I mean, the battle sequences, when we could see them, when we could see what was happening and it wasn't pitch black on my television screen, uh, they were stunning. They were gorgeous to look at. Like, as much as I disagreed with the choice to have Danny Serpentine and burn down King's Landing, it looked freaking amazing to yeah. see that on my television screen. That was that was damn cool. They had amazing shots in repeatedly. Uh, I liked I liked Sansa at the end. I liked Sansa being queen in the North and insisting that the North remain an independent kingdom. I thought that was a great character choice for her in that moment. Uh, others not so much, but there there were there were some good things. Shannon, what about you? Well, I wanted to ask you guys a question that just made me think. If if by some chance Tyrion had said, you know what, Sansa Stark, she's our gal. She needs to be the queen of the Seven Kingdoms. One, would she have accepted it? Yes. And, and, but would she have been like, you know what, the North is going to be separate? Do you think she would have stood, stood by that? Uh, good question. Ooh. I don't think she would have accepted ruling the Seven Kingdoms without the North being separate. But who would have stepped in and North and ruled North? Do you think she would have allowed Bran to rule the North? No, I don't think anybody would, <laughs> would have made that guess. Yeah. <laughs> they, they had already established that Bran did not want to be Lord of Winterfell. So he said. So they... Which is a whole other, I don't want to be Lord of Winterfell. But, but yeah, I was planning on King the whole time. Why are you thinking <laughs> that's, I came down here? That's the thing at the end of the finale that drove me crazy. That, mother, that motherfucker might have been tricking everybody for a this couple of seasons. Time. This whole time. And then everyone's like, oh, it's the right ending, Branch. What God. the hell are you talking right, about? Guys. Of people dead. Yeah. Guys. <laughs> How surprised. Could have said one thing. <laughs> How surprised would you have been if... Brand got up and walked. Brand got up. <laughs> <laughs> he just stood up at the end. Like that old SNL sketch yep. where Mr. Potter gets up <laughs> and Jimmy Stewart's like, what the hell? <laughs> Suck it, suckers. Anytime he said, I can't be Lord of Winterfell, it wasn't a period. It was an ellipsis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm going to be king. <laughs> I can't be Lord of Winterfell. <laughs> also, Yara Greyjoy yes! had already been promised her independent kingdom. Sansa's like, the North is on its own. Yeah. And Yara's just like, okay, I guess I'll bend the knee to Bran Stark. What? <laughs> that was bullshit. Yara and Arya speaking out of turn was bullshit too. No, Arya was fine. She isn't a fucking assassin. She's not at any level to be at that council, first of all. She literally saved the entire world. Oh my world. God. See, that's what I'm talking about. She did save the just, whole world. But she wasn't by herself. It wasn't she went on a, a covert mission and stabbed the Night King while he was snoring. Also, who's so everybody t- saved the fucking world. No, everybody no. in that battle who's gonna tell her saved she can't the fucking come? world. Who's going to have the balls to tell Arya Stark, you need I to think, stand outside? That's I, when she kills you and steals your face. I think if anyone could, <laughs> I think if anyone could, Yara could. I think if Yara could go toe to toe with Arya, just fine. Oh, sir! Yara has Yara has sailed the seas. She's a tough woman. She would handle. She got to uh, handle Arya. 
Oh, but but yeah, but that was a different everyone situation. got taken. Half <laughs> yeah, <or laughs> even all, I mean, uh, don't forget, Arya could barely, you know. I think literally everyone in that council was taken. Half. Yeah, that's a, good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. <laughs> but no, it was just frustrating to see that because to have Yara go. Wait a minute, now my allegiance to Danny was there, and 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 Arya goes. You keep talking about my brother. I'm going to stab you. All of a sudden, we're in a fucking high school uh, play. I was just. It just drove me nuts. <laughs> what I do, I don't agree with you on Arya, but what I do agree with you is. I mean, in a show that's called Game of Thrones that is about the machinations of everybody trying to, like, outmaneuver everybody else, to have this sort of epilogue scene where everyone's sitting around where Tyrion goes, hey, Bran's got a good story. Give it to him. And they're like, yeah. and everyone just agrees. Yeah. You're like, I mean, honestly, that should have been two or three episodes. Three episodes. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. but it is what it is. We've talked about it. Anyway. Yeah. All right. So let's finish this up because we're over an hour now. We, we promised we wouldn't go over an hour, but we did. Let's get our final thoughts on uh, the C- series as a whole, I guess. I would ask if anybody wants to go first. Sure, go I'll ahead. jump in. Look, I mean, f- no matter how it ended, there are still six and parts of seven seasons of terrific television. As an actor, I loved watching the art of stillness that they had all sort of perfected. I thought the writing was fantastic. I thought the directing was fantastic. I think they had a couple of hiccups the last two seasons. But ultimately, this is still something that I will go back and turn on. This will be something that I can have on as white noise Mm. in my apartment as I'm just kind of futzing around. Um, I still stand by that it was a great show that just didn't really stick the landing at the end. Okay. Yeah, I I mean, there's people like to joke about Star Wars fans. Where if you're not a you're not a real Star Wars fan, unless you hate every single one of the Star Wars movies, <laughs> uh, and you know that that's I I don't think that that's how I feel about Game of Thrones. I I loved the show. It is my favorite show that I've ever seen. I I really did have just a wonderful time experiencing it. I'm disappointed in some of the choices that were made, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, I'm I'm really glad that it's here. <sighs> <laughs> I feel. I feel different today than I like. I've spent the past like three or four weeks having a lot of emotions, being very angry about a lot of things. Mm. You know what it is? It's like when you are breaking up with a guy or girl. Sure. I'm just saying. I'm okay. It's like when you're going through a breakup. There you go. And when you're going through the breakup, you're calling all your friends and you're texting everybody and you're like, look what the – you screen grab. Look what this – look what he just said to me. This is bullshit. And you just complain about every single thing and you're like, no, no. I will not stand for that. That is bullshit. He cannot do that. I am going to grab my stuff and I'm going to be – I feel like the past three weeks that was that. And now I feel like I'm easing into that part where it's like been a few months since the breakup yeah. and you look back on the relationship as a whole and you go, all right. It was not the best breakup at the end. The relationship at the end wasn't great. But on the whole, that was a good relationship. And I think over time, I'm going to look back on this fondly. Game of Thrones was my boyfriend that we didn't have the best breakup. But he was really good to me for a very long time. Yeah. That's how I feel. Uh, you know, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, honestly, that's exactly what I, to a degree, that was what, what I was going to You think say. Game of Thrones is your boyfriend too? No, but not my boyfriend. But I, I liken it to a relationship where your partner all of a sudden becomes ultra religious when you're not. <laughs> And you have to kind of, or they become a Scientologist or whatever it is. That, and that you, counts as religious. Well, sure. And then you 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 go into this place. You're like you hold on for a little bit longer, thinking maybe this is a phase or what. And then uh, and then it just it kind of ends. And then you're left with, well, damn it, I can't stay with you. This is done now. You're going. This is over. 
I will. Re- I, I we had a lot of great years. But we can't stay together anymore. You leave and, asking Game of Thrones, did I ever really know you? Did I ever really? Yeah, well, cool. yeah, but I still remember the first five years Game we of Thrones, really clicking. Game of Thrones, I left a sweater at your house and you need to bring me my keys. <laughs> <laughs> I left a sweater and I need my keys. <laughs> just bring, bring them over when I'm not home. You can leave them under the mat. I just don't want to <laughs> yeah, see you right just, now. If it's okay, if you can put it in a box. Uh, if you can put all your things in a box and have my friend pick it up and bring it over to me, that'd I, be great. I also did make a realization today. I was thinking a lot today about the Star Wars prequels. Oh, God. And how I love the Star Wars universe, but I hate the prequels. And what I've realized is that, for me, ultimately, Westeros, or I'm sorry, Planetos, uh, <laughs> has actually reached that level of uh, of the Star Wars universe or the Marvel universe or the Potter universe mm. where I love this universe and this world so much that even though I don't think it ended as strongly as it was for the rest of it, I'm excited to see what happens next. I actually would love other creators to come along Mm. and create new chapters or for George R. R. Martin to give his blessing for other people to tell new stories. Like I I, I love this world enough that my disappointment in this season does not preclude me from being excited about other adventures in this universe. Well, there's certainly two coming. Uh, Prequel, there's rumored to be prequels. But there is the Naomi Watts one, and there is rumors that the Aria one is a spinoff. Aria, the Pirate Queen musical. Yes, that Maisie Williams will be doing that, (laughs) which is why they didn't show the face thing, that they're saving that for the series. Do you mean that they're saving face? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And I mean, I'll I'll read. If the books ever get written, I'll I'll keep on reading the books. Of course. Although, unlike the Harry Potter universe, Westeros is not a place that I would ever want to live because, my God, what <laughs> yeah. a horrible place. I know, right? <laughs> you, can't, you can't even get away with it when you're not participating in the Game of Thrones. You're just trying to live. You get your ass burnt by a dragon fire. So, oh, yeah. It is a military decision, so it's Wait, okay. Well, listen, it was a military decision. <laughs> and she's not I'm crazy. Move up to Winterfell because Sansa's my ruler. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. If you don't think... If she had a dragon, Sansa wouldn't use it to mow her enemies down. You're insane. I told you the other day, Sansa would absolutely mow her enemies down. Mm-hmm. She just wouldn't mow down a bunch of innocent people. We don't know that yet because seeing Arya threatened to right. kill Yara. We'll save this for when don't we pitch. Start. Yeah. John and I are going to pitch. John and I are going to pitch the Sansa Chronicles to HBO next week. But yeah. but, yeah. but other right, than that, right, right. the Sansa Chronicles. Other than that, give me my robes. Um, All right. Well, thank you so much, Michael Robertson, yeah, for being here. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much buddy. for having me. This was a blast. <laughs> Um, and yep. thank you to everybody for listening to our long and uh, rambling discussion about uh, the, about the Game of Thrones. Droke is so mad at me that I just thanked all of you right now. Yeah. I knew you were going to wrap it up. I just felt the need to thank everybody uh-huh. for listening. We've that wasn't this, the end. We've been having this battle for a couple weeks now. He keeps claiming, like Asansa, that he doesn't want to take control of the situation. But I can see what he's doing. Starting to feel like King's Landing. He's like here. a Targaryen. No, you're like a Targaryen. More like a Targaryen. Fire. Make up your mind. Am I a Targaryen or am I a Stark? You know what? You're both. You're Jon Snow, you son of I'm a Stargarian? You're Stargarian. I'll you're take a, it. You're a Hufflepuff. Is that who it is? Or Ravenpuff? I'm a Griffinpuff. Oof. I don't even know what that is. Uh, no, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Finish up, Michael. No, no, please. No, no, no. Go ahead. Finish up. Uh, Robertson, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you, Michael. Shannon, Johnny. Well, thanks, everybody, for there listening to the show. <laughs> this is the Geek Buddies. You know how we do. And look, we had a very civil discussion, even though we were on opposite sides of things on some things. It was fun to have a conversation. And I echo Michael's thinking of Michael Robertson for stopping by because 
it was fascinating to listen to you speak about this and in such a uh, engaging tone, honestly. I don't know how many podcasts you've ever done. Maybe it's your first one. I have never done a podcast. You're very natural <laughs> at it, and it was fun to listen to you talk about it. Um, uh, what what are our uh, Twitter handles and Instagram handles? People can follow us. What is it? Yeah, Shannon? you can follow me on Twitter at Shannon underscore McClung. And because John Roca made me, I now have an Instagram at Shannon the Geek Buddy. That's right. You can follow me at MKTune on both Twitter and Instagram. And, uh, Michael, do you have anything people can follow you on? I don't have Twitter, but if you mm-hmm. want to see my bread baking, you can go to Ginger Beard Baker on Instagram. <laughs> Boom! Boom! That's awesome. Bread Midler! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she'll write music for the Aria Pirate Queen musical. I like that, Bette Midler. Um, you can follow me at The Rogue Says on Twitter and on Instagram. If you want to follow us, the Geek Buddies, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. And I think on Instagram, it's the underscore geek underscore buddies. Is that correct? I believe that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And you can follow us there. So come follow us. Uh, there will be more conversations. This was a special episode. We'll have a regular episode in a couple of days. I uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation. Have yourselves a great time. Uh, go have some – what do they drink in Westeros? Uh, you can have some some Arbor Golds. They they drink there a lot of wine. Okay, yeah. so go have some wine. Watch Dornish your castle. Red Arbor Gold. There you go. Dornish red wine. Watch your castle burn to the ground. And we will talk to you next time on the Geek Buddies. Hey! Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.